All right, let's turn that off, turn that off, turn that on, turn that on. Let's turn it on. Hey, baby. Hey, babies. How are you doing? Are we live? Are we live? Are we live? Yes, we are. It took five minutes <laughs> to get through to tech support. Yeah, yeah. How you guys doing? Good evening. How is the old audio? Please to let me know. I would be very pleased to happy to let me know. He's back and on track. That's right. That is right. With a very nice new mixer and a new camera. And yes, if you would like to help out the show. I know it's been a while. Don't you just love the audacity of asking? But freedomain.com forward slash donate. If you'd like to help out the show and you know... I don't know if you guys are like literature guys or, you know, high art novel guys or Dickens and Shakespeare guys or that kind of stuff. But if you are or would like to be or are curious what can be done with, say, the English language, I would strongly suggest and beg on bended knee. You can go to justpoornovel.com, justpoornovel, J-U-S-T-P-O-O-R novel, justpoornovel.com. And it's a free, it's a free book that I wrote uh, some years ago. Uh, it's full audiobook. It's full EPUB. You can read it online, and uh, it's really good. Yeah, a little raspy. Sorry, I um, I had some friends over uh, with their four children, and when you have friends over for a couple of days with four children, at least one of them is going to bring a cold. Well, that's just the life of a social guy, I suppose. It has been since the end of October last year. It has been a long, long time. So the only literature I seem to read nowadays is programming documentation. How much are you bench pressing nowadays, Steph? Well, I tried to measure it, but it ju I just got a sideways eight. Like it was a sideways eight. I'm not sure what that means, but uh, where have you been? Just pour is best read aloud at Sheer Poetry. Thank you, Steph. Yes, uh, you should really, uh, the audiobook. I really did pour heart and soul into it. So you should check that out. And it's, uh, it's free, as I mentioned. And you can get it at fdrpodcasts.com. And uh, is it overmodulating a bit in the red? Is it overmodulating a bit? Uh, I can turn that down, I think. Let me see. Yeah, I, I leave. And of course, uh, everything, um, everything changed. You know, all the interfaces changed and everything changed. Because I haven't been doing my thing for a little while. All right. Uh, I just turned the audio down a little bit. Let me know if that's uh, any better. Daddy came back from getting the milk and cigarettes, yeah. Got a wife and kids in Baltimore, Jack. I went out for a ride and I never came back. Well, except I did. And, no, actually, uh, I've, uh, you can go. For, uh, the, the first chunk is chapters 1 to 19 and the second chunk is, uh, chunk is chapters 20 through 67 or something like this. <sighs> you can do a good NPR voice with this setup. Yes. I mean, who really knows what a woman is? <laughs> Very interesting stuff. Did I see that the warmonger at Madeleine Albright died? Well, um, yeah, that was the woman who, if she was asked if the sanctions on Iraq, which resulted in the deaths of over 500,000 children, half a million children, she was asked if she thought it was worthwhile, if she thought it was worth it. And she said, well, you know, that's, that's a tough thing, but it is worth it. It is worth it. You know, it's just half a million brown people dead. So, yes, really is quite something. 
you're really something. There is audio for chapters 20 plus. Yes, I just posted that yesterday. So, I mean, it's not like I was not here when anything important was happening, right? I mean, it's not like I missed anything uh, important. I mean, what I think, I'll get to your questions in a sec, but I might as well give a teeny tiny welcome back speech. But what I think, so after my cancellations began like two years, two and a half years ago, the world in its wisdom and its maturity and its moral excellence, the world decided as a whole to try living without philosophy. Now, it's not like I'm not going to pull an Anthony Fauci and say, I am philosophy. But the world decided that, you know, facts, reason and evidence, moral arguments from first principles was not the way that they particularly wanted to go. That was not a road they wanted to travel. They wanted to take the road most traveled, which is emotional reaction and uh, uh, dehumanization of the other and and splitting and projecting and uh, all the mad chaos of people who uh, just get programmed into, you know, that TikTok hypnotic, hypnotic thing from like COVID to Ukraine to whatever, right? So, yeah, the world gave it a shot to live without uh, philosophy. And uh, people that I knew, uh, people I'd done shows with and so on, I mean, to some degree, they were part of that because it wasn't like anybody invited me on their shows to say, come on, we know, you know, we know you're not these terrible things that people say, so come and explain yourself, let's set the record straight, blah, blah, blah. So the world as a whole, and it does is on a not quite metronome, but semi-regular basis, the world as a whole said... Ah, you know, this philosophy stuff is not really very convenient. Uh, it does raise a lot of awkward questions, and it does puncture a lot of pompous principles. Let's, let's give it a try without it. Uh, and, well, I, I, I think we, we can see what's happening without the good old gem, big chatty forehead of philosophy. And um, you sometimes, you know, everyone has to have their time in the wilderness. If you're like a clear thinker, if you're an original thinker, if you think for yourself, everybody has to have their time in the wilderness. It may not be as dramatic as 40 days and nights in a desert, but everyone has to go. Because when things are blindingly clear to you, the facts, the reason, and the evidence all lines up, then you make your case, uh, you bring on the experts, you show the data, you have your sources, and the world freaks out. Because what you've been studying for, I mean, I've been studying philosophy and freedom for like 40 years now, mid-teens to mid-50s. It's blindingly obvious, and you have to be fairly clear at bringing your case and your point across. But then, of course, what happens is the world completely freaks out. Because there's a N-dimensional Mobius strip shape of absolute weirdness and freakiness in the room. Because their eyes have been massaged into strange shapes, and therefore any straight line looks crooked to them and dangerous. And so... You, you know, they, they cast you out and then, well, I mean, then one of two things happens. Well, three, one of three things happens. Either you turn back immediately and fight like hell, in which case you usually get imprisoned or killed or exiled or something like that, based on the history of philosophy. Um, or you sort of fade off gracefully into the sunset. Uh, or or uh, what you do is you say, okay, you know, I get it. Um, I was somewhat ahead of the curve and freaked people out. And then you just wait for the world to catch up. And, you know, you're, you're considered to be a crazy person, a, a, a prophet of madness or, or immorality. And you make your predictions and you put forward your case. And then you're either right or you're wrong. Now, nothing over the last couple of years has made me think anything other than I'm 
even more right than I knew, which is a shame. Being a philosopher means always being vaguely sorry that you're right. And at some point, you know, people either circle back, Pisaki style, and say, you know, that guy did actually have something to say. And then you gain credibility because events catch up to your predictions to the point where you gain authority through that process. And that's very common in the history of ideas. It goes uh, all, all the way back to the pretense of knowledge of the sophists in ancient Socrates. You know, Martin Luther, you could look at Galileo, you could look at, uh, you know, and here's a funny thing, right? Even the guy, the, the first doctor to figure out that hand washing was a good idea, hand washing might be a good idea, was shunned and, and cast out and attacked and vilified. I think at some point he was put into an asylum. Uh, it's really quite, quite wild to look at how much resistance there is to even the most elemental, and you would assume by this point, non-controversial progress in the human condition. Uh, the guy who first figured out that excess acid in the stomach was not the result of stress, but was the result of a particular kind of bacteria growing in the mucous membranes in the walls of the stomach, you know, he was also attacked and vilified and blah, 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 blah. Anytime you try and push forward the human condition, the blowback from the reactionaries is... It's really intense, you know. It's it's like standing in front of a, a jet engine at, at full force. You get all that sort of ripple-cheeked astronaut momentum and so on. So, yeah, I had a I had a bunch of stuff to do, a whole a whole bunch of stuff to do uh, over the last couple of months, and uh, I kind of came back as soon as I could. But that's what I was doing. How about a show with Carl Benjamin? I'm pretty sure I'm off people's lists uh, to do shows with, but uh, if you want to suggest it to him, I've done a show with him before. I would be uh, happy to do that again. Fan scream, your voice is amazing. Reading, not today. Well, it's just a different. Um, thoughts on Ukraine? Well, I mean, hit me with a why if you'd like my thoughts on Ukraine. I mean, I'm certainly happy to share them if you want. Uh, hit me with a Y if you would like any uh, particular thoughts on Ukraine. And I would be happy to. Okay, I'll give you my thoughts uh, and then you can give me uh, your thoughts. We'll do a back and forth exchange exchange thing, right? So, um, America's been at war for like 99% of its history, right? Because that's what governments do, right? And the war, war is the health of the state, and the state is the health of war. So an outsider named Donald J. Trump got into the office, and as a builder, I mean, with all his personal flaws, which are considerable, like I'm one to talk, but um, Donald J. Trump got into power as a builder. He's opposed to war in all its forms. I mean, free market capitalists tend to be opposed to war. The capitalist, crony capitalists tend to be pro-war. So Donald Trump got in and um, there was no war. There were no wars. I mean, there was a little bombing in Syria. I get all that bombs and asterisks in Syria. But he put his ego aside and his moral posturing aside to praise dictators such as Putin and such as um, the leader of North Korea, what Kim Jong-un. So he got things done, broke a fair amount of peace in the Middle East, and America was at peace for, for the most part, for four years. Now, you know, the gods of wars get pretty thirsty when you don't give them anything to drink for a couple of years. So, uh, and this is one of the reasons why I had such reservations about Hillary Clinton as a candidate, because she'd already indicated her desire to start at least three wars, and one of the mo big ones that she wanted to start was with Russia. 
Russia, of course, is hated by the communists because it's an ex-communist country whose knowledge of the origins of communism is pretty acute. And uh, so, you know, they loved uh, they loved Russia when it was communist, and now they hate Russia because it's post-communist and it's nationalistic and fairly Christian and so on. So, yeah, I mean, the... Uh, the the war party, uh, and this is true on the left and the right. The war party is 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 back in in power, and so they, you know, they kept pushing NATO eastward, and Putin since two thousand seven at least, and I think even before then, has said very clearly that uh, if you if you try to pull Ukraine into NATO, if you put weapons into Ukraine, we will invade. Uh, and take it over because Russia needs a buffer state, right? I mean, America has fairly friendly neighbors to the north and south and giant buffers of the world's largest oceans to the east and west. Uh, Russia continually gets invaded, right? With the Mongols and Napoleon and uh, Hitler and so on. They regularly get invaded and lose massive portions of their population and destroy their farmland, their wells, their livestock, because the way that you deal with invasion in Russia is you retreat and you burn your livestock, you poison your wells, you salt your fields so that nobody can get any food, so that the supply line gets too long, winter comes and guillotines the entire army with the sort of icy blades of endless Siberian winter death storms. And so Russia needs a buffer state. And you, you can like or not like the ethics, but this is simple real politique, right? This is the way that, that the world works and politics works. So Russia said, yeah, you, you can't pull Ukraine into NATO. And you can see NATO, which was originally designed to contain an expansionistic um, communist Russia, right? So communism is international. So they were trying to, from Russia uh, under the communists, bring communism all over the world. But Russia has not had expansionistic tendencies uh, since the end of, of communism, at least not nearly as much. And so NATO was originally designed to fight communism in Russia. Russia became post-communist. NATO continued to expand eastward because they wanted to provoke Russia into an invasion which was perfectly predictable. And then they wanted to uh, make uh, that the worst conceivable thing. And because people can't think, because people aren't educated, uh, even in the basics, they don't notice that America has the Monroe Doctrine, right, which says that the entire Western Hemisphere is directly subjugated to America's geopolitical and military interests, right? The entire, like half the planet is uh, subject to the American government and its whims. Whereas Russia just says, yeah, we, we really can't have bio labs and weaponry installed in Ukraine, because that takes down the time frame that you need to have mutually assured destruction actually work to prevent an escalation of war, right? So they they pushed eastward, and uh, Russia did exactly what Russia said it was going to do. And you know, when when there's a conflict, it's a funny thing in in human nature, and I feel this tendency or this tug, uh, even in myself, even in myself. <coughs> Excuse me. When there's a conflict, significant one, particularly a martial or military conflict, people have a desperate thirst and desire and need to pick sides. You have to, that's an instinct for us for obvious reasons, right? Because fence sitters tend to get killed by both sides. But if you pick one side, if that side wins, you're relatively safe. So if fence sitters, so people who choose neither side generally get wiped out by both sides, no matter who wins or either side, 
But if you pick a side, then you're more likely to survive if that side wins. So it's the odds of like, okay, I have a 50% chance of survival if they're evenly matched if I pick one side, but maybe only a 20% chance of survival if I pick neither side. So as soon as there's a conflict, we are drawn to choose one side or the other as the perfectly good guys and the other side are the perfectly evil guys and and so on right and of course there's a lot of ambivalence in these kinds of things you know there are strong points to russia there are terrible points to russia there are strong points to ukraine there are terrible points uh, to ukraine uh, it is a significant money laundering center for a lot of the western uh, elites and uh, there is the as of battalion of neo-nazis is in the eastern part they've been shelling civilians uh, even in their own uh, countries and so on and so yeah there's a uh, it's complex, and I'm certainly no expert on it, so don't take anything I say with any particular seriousness about these things. But, I mean, it's not a war war that has a particular amount of interest to the U.S. directly. I mean, as far as war goes, I mean, the Ethiopian war, which has been going on for some years now, it's a civil war, I think, in Ethiopia. It's half a million dead. Nobody's putting Ethiopian flags up because they're not told or programmed what to support, right? That's really, really quite... Uh, quite tragic. So, yeah, I mean, it's all projection, right? I mean, they said that Trump was going to cause World War Three and all that. I don't, I don't think World War Three is 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 coming, but uh, it is. Uh, I mean, it's a real, it's a real tragic situation. And I mentioned this on the live stream the other day, the the premium one, and I will be doing a few more premium uh, podcasts. I do have to sort of get my finances back in order because uh, I I didn't ask for any donations for a couple of years during COVID and. I kind of got to get back to uh, actually having a, a reasonable income. So if you, again, if you'd like to support freedomain.com slash donate, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a real tragedy uh, what's going on. And, and the people of course suffer. If the Ukrainian government had allowed the prosecutor who was looking into Burisma and I guess by proxy Hunter Biden and the 10% for the big guy stuff and all of that, if, the special prosecutor in Ukraine had actually pursued this, it seems to me, I would imagine, it's most likely, in my estimation, that he would have uncovered enough corruption that it would have been very hard, if not impossible, to get Biden elected, right? I mean, we know that the Hunter, Hunter Biden laptop story being suppressed through the election to Biden because 17% of Democrat voters wouldn't have voted for Biden if they had known about the Hunter Biden laptop story and the unholy contents. It's an interesting book out there called Laptop from Hell, which is worth <clears throat> having a, a look at in terms of trying to figure out this this kind of stuff and what was actually on there. It's you could not create a digital collection of more demonic bites and bits if you if you tried. So if the Ukrainian government had not taken what seems to me kind of a bribe from Biden and the administration, which was the billion dollar loan guarantee that Biden threatened to pull if they didn't fire the prosecutor looking into Burisma and therefore his son, if they had simply pursued that, then it seems to me very unlikely that Biden would have been elected. If Biden hadn't been elected, you wouldn't have this same push for war. And so they take their billion dollars um, and there's a war and two and a half million people have to flee. And, and, and the, everybody makes moves like the bad guys have no moves. Right. Everybody makes moves like the bag. I don't know what it is, like whether it's superhero stuff or whatever. Right. But I mean, it just came out today. And I talked about this again in my live stream from the other day. But the direct blowback is going to be 
a, uh, a most likely a run on the US dollar, right? Because now Europe gets 40% of its energy from Russia, right? So the idea that they're going to be doing much to oppose a war is, is you know, anybody with half a brain, and it's mostly to show. Now, Russia, because they've been sanctioned so heavily, has now said to Europe, oh, if you want to buy, if you want to buy energy from us, in particular it's gas, but to some degree oil, and maybe this will expand to one of Russia's most important exports, which is fertilizer, if you want to buy energy from us, you're going to have to use rubles. You're going to have to use rubles. Now, of course, that is going to raise the value of the ruble enormously. It's going to drop the value of the U.S. dollar. And uh, the U.S. dollar is the reserve currency of the world. Is I mean, China's going to work with Russia. They're going to introduce uh, some other petrodollar. And uh, again, the average people, they're cheering and they're putting Ukrainian flags on and they're repeating a bunch of propaganda and then inflation and, and all of this is going to uh, hit even harder than it is. And that's the price you pay. It's the price you pay for just being led along by the nose and being told who to hate and who to love and not thinking for yourself or, or having any skepticism about the general narrative and so on. So, yeah, that's, uh, um, that's, that's, you know, the people pay and the, the elites get rich and so on, right? Um, <clears throat> let's see here. Let me get here. Neocons are Trotskyites. <laughs> Maybe. All right. Let me get you back on here. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I think they do want to cover up a lot. I think that there's a lot of... There's a lot of information in Ukraine and a lot of people who would be quite vulnerable... You know, social media has, has, to some degree, exacerbated some of these conflicts. Because before, of course, you could just not have it get into the mainstream media, right? If you kept it off TV, if you kept it off the newspapers, it basically didn't exist. But now, if something breaks, it can get out through social media, which means the suppression of information at the source is much more powerful and important now than it used to be. So, All right. Let's get, and what are your thoughts? Okay, okay, you started off saying you were too ahead of the game. Now you're talking old news. Crack on, man. Where you been, etc. Um, You strike me as the kind of person who's going to find a negative in everything, right? So, yes, I am ahead of the curve in some things for sure. And the audience, which you saw too, actually asked me for my thoughts on Ukraine. So I asked if they would like that, and they said yes, so I provided it. Um, you must be one of these people who's just impossible to please, and uh, I guess maybe that makes you feel superior in a way, like you get to hand out your favors or disfavors like some ducal lord, but it just makes you kind of unbearable to be, <laughs> to be around, I'm sure, for people as a whole. So uh, Let's see here. Do you feel any hate for the evil leftists who coordinate to deplatform you? Um, it's a good question. Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. People who don't think are kind of like the forces of nature. And, and if, um, I don't know, if, if a tornado destroys your vegetable patch, I mean, you don't hate the tornado, right? And, and people who don't think 
who just kind of react and, and are programmed and, and are full of hatred themselves for reasons that they don't even understand, it's hard to get mad at them because I, personally I just view them as kind of like blind forces of nature without the capacity. Now, they're responsible for their lack of capacity to control their reactions, but their reactions are so strong. You know, for, for people who don't experience this, it's hard to kind of get. But I think it's really important to understand the way that things kind of plow this way. You know, under Trump, people were just, in a sense, electroshocked by the media. Oh, there's this terrible thing. Oh, there's that terrible thing. Oh my gosh, can you believe? And people were just like thrown around like a pinball because they were just, you know, you'd see all these headlines of shock, blah, 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 horror, blah, 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 blah. You know, and, and people would just be like frightened and made anxious. I mean, they did the same thing with COVID, of course, right? So people are made frightened and they're made anxious. And that accumulation of fear always eventually turns to rage, right? That, that's the point of that fear. The point of that fear is to grind you down so much that you eventually just get angry. And, and you can see the same thing, right? Like, I mean, if you, uh, if you don't ever do this, but I'm sure you can understand that if you ever chase a cat and you corner, the cat will run away. But then if the cat is cornered, then that fear turns to aggression. That fear turns to, to rage, murderous rage in a way, right? So making the population afraid is the seeds that you sow in order to be able to gather the inchoate rage of the mob as a whole. And then, of course, you have particular words that you can apply to people to focus the rage of the mob on, on those people, right? To use the mob as a proxy to, to destroy others. So... <clears throat> This is what's, I mean, really been quite dangerous, I think, uh, about the world, that people do feel helpless, uh, they do feel frustrated, they do feel terrified a lot by the media. And it's quite appallingly easy to turn that fear into, uh, into anger, right? I mean, if, if you look at the average, let's say the average person in, in the UK, say for instance, or France or Europe, if you look at the average person in the UK, who is more harmful to their own interests. Is it their own government or is it Putin? I mean, I think I think we should try to deal with the uh, problems that are closer to home and that have more dominance over our daily lives. But, you know, inventing an overseas enemy, uh, inventing an enemy that's far away that you can safely hate and you will be approved for hating. I mean, that's the point of the two minutes hate in 1984, this Emmanuel Goldstein hatred that, that George Orwell wrote about uh, in, in the famous novel, of course, that you just pour out your hatred because you're afraid of the party, you're afraid of nonconformity. But then they get you to expunge your hatred on a particular target, which it's safe for you to hate. And, and that's, uh, so yeah, the, the fear eventually, and usually sooner rather than later, will always provoke the blowback. And the blowback is then engineered to point at people who are actually trying to help rather than usually than those who are trying to hurt. All right, so let's see here. Uh, from what I've seen, Russia has been trying to move away from the U.S. dollar for a while now. No doubt they've been seeing the death of fiat coming. Well, it's important to remember. I mean, if you've ever been significantly lied about, you know just how corrupt the people are who are lying about you. And, <coughs> excuse me, you have to think, of course, that Russia, the Russia and the Russians are perfectly aware that the vast majority of the aspersions thrown against Russia, and Russia has its faults. It's certainly not a free society. It's a status society. So I'm not, you know, going to point 
I want to sort of remind everyone about that. But they know that the P-tape dossier was false. They know that they didn't engineer the 2016 election to be pro-Trump. They know that they don't own Trump. And they also know that the Hunter Biden laptop, laptop story was true, as the New York Times has recently affirmed 18 months after it was um, banned from social media. So if you, if you look at Russia, and, and the Russians are looking at America saying, my God, every villain in every story is Russian. Every movie, every TV show, every villain is, is Russian. And, and that's one of the reasons you know that the Russians aren't particularly dangerous to the West, because the, the people, the brave souls in the media don't generally portray people who are actually dangerous as dangerous, because there could be there could be blowback, right? Um, so when the Russians look at the elites and the media in the West, they're like, well, they, they're just making stuff up. They're just completely lying about us and, and all of that. And, um, you know, they see the Ghislaine Maxwell's uh, and, and uh, Jeffrey Epstein's little black book never surfaced. Uh, all of the CD-ROMs with the uh, recordings from Jeffrey Epstein's house all vanished. And nobody's been held to account, right? I mean, she went to jail for sex trafficking, King, but nobody who bought or sold any of the these girls has even been named, really, let alone arrested, let alone charged, let alone convicted. So, yeah, I mean, they, they look at that stuff, and there's just there's a big price to be paid in terms of uh, credibility. It's like when when you've got uh, Mounties stepping on old women in Canada, right? It's pretty rough. Do you find the Joe Biden gas station stickers funny? No, not really. It's fine. I mean, I don't mean... Let's see here. Um, bum, bum. Hit me with your questions. Uh, who were the clients? Yeah, well, I mean, there's some indications from the flight logs, but, you know, it was a very, it was a really tidy cleanup operation, right? They had a big problem, and it was really, um, it was a really tidy cleanup operation that worked just beautifully, just beautifully. All right, let me just um, do a wee, uh, a wee share here. Can I share this actual stream? Everything seems to have changed. Um, are you in touch with any intellectuals or social media influencers still? Um, no, as I say, I went into the wilderness and actually quite happy as well. So. Oh, is it 200 mil to buy Epstein's Island? I think 200 mil would be the cleanup bill, wouldn't it? <laughs> Let alone anything else, right? Okay, let me see here. Uh, let me just uh, cancel that. Uh, there we go. I look great. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Is it worth it to start a garden and raise chickens to prepare for food, food scarcity? Well, I don't know. I think a vegetable garden is a good idea. I think it's pretty good to get handy with livestock. <laughs> That sounds like a, a Weinstein moment. But no, I think I think it's a fairly good idea to just get used to some potential scarcity situations, whether it's actual scarcity or just high prices and so on. Having a couple of chickens, having a couple of ducks, not a bad idea. Um, having a little garden, not a bad idea. You can, of course, order food and, and store it uh, someplace that's helpful and so on. But uh, just, you know, keep it to yourself uh, is my is my suggestion. So... Let's see here. What else do we have? Yeah, I mean, other than this little cold, which is just, it's just a throat thing. 
uh, it is, uh, it's pretty great. You miss the ducks? Oh, we have ducks. We have two new ducks. They are not Muscovies, which were the three we had last year. They are Pekin ducks. Pekin ducks. Yeah, Bloomberg says, eat lentils instead of meat. Yes, yeah, so and Bloomberg had this article, uh, you know, them, let, let them eat brioche. Um, article, uh, which is, uh, yeah, you know, if you, if you earn hundred, if you earn under $300,000 a year in, uh, us dollars uh, every year, man, inflation is going to hit you pretty hard. So there's a couple of things you can do. Uh, don't buy in bulk, eat lentils instead of meat, walk or bike instead of drive your car. Oh, and really, really importantly, you know, if you've got a beloved pet that your children are really attached to and that pet gets sick and needs treatments, you know, some of those treatments can be pretty expensive. So, you know, maybe just let Fido and Chairman Meow, uh, hit the hit the dirt nap, and um, <clears throat> yeah, that's um, that's something. <laughs> that's that's really quite something. How are gas prices in your area? Well, pretty bad, but I don't drive very much. Ireland's going to take in two hundred thousand Ukrainian refugees. Wow, wow. Well, that's interesting, right? Because y- you know the Ukrainian refugees are pretty anti-communist. The Ukrainians, of course, and you all know this, so I'll just mention it briefly, but the Ukrainians, of course, perfectly aware of one of the big unspoken genocides in the 20th century, the Holodomor, right, where the communist government, there's a, there's a wild story. There were lots of causes to it. But one of the main causes of this mass starvation of Ukrainians under the thumb of Stalin was that when you are the local, you know, high-hat honky-tonk guy in charge in a communist region, the central party in Moscow sends you a letter and demands, what is your production going to be? What is your productivity going to be? How much wheat are you going to produce next year? And if you don't answer with a massive increase over last year, well, straight to jail, straight to the gulags, you can bunkmate with Solzhenitsyn, that kind of stuff. And so the local commissars, the local head communists would say, oh, we're going to double and triple our wheat production because collectivized farming is so efficient and wonderful. And it's a huge increase from pre-revolutionary days and it's wonderful. And so they would do all of that, right? And then, of course, a year later, they would get another letter saying, okay, you said you would 300%, you would 3x your wheat. What happened? And they were like, uh, we, we got four times the wheat, four times the wheat. Yeah, that's it. We got, because otherwise, you know, if they say, well, we wanted, we said 3x, but we only got 2x, then straight to the gulag, straight to the jail, firing squad, whatever, right? So what happened was they said they produced so much wheat, but then they got to get taxed on it, right? So if you say you produce three times the wheat and the tax on wheat is 30%, all the wheat goes to the government. And there's nothing left for the local people. You understand how that works, right? You, you say, hey, we produce three times the wheat and the taxes are like 33%. The government takes all your wheat and then you've got nothing. You've nothing to feed your livestock, nothing to feed your kids, and you starve to death. And what was it, 10 million people starved to death in that particular process? Uh, it was unbelievably brutal. And um, they remember all of that. They remember, and my, and my friends, the friends I know, or the friends I have from Eastern Europe, I'm pretty jumpy about all of this stuff, and completely understandably so on, right? So, all right, let's see here. Do you think the Republicans will dominate our November elections? Well, you know, the Stalin quote always comes to mind. It's not who votes, it's who counts the votes, right? What do you think of the R anti-work movement? I don't know much about it, sorry. 
Uh, uh, do you think there's a chance in changing the political environment, reducing the size of government, or is it too far gone? Well, I think we're in the phase now where we're beyond, I think we're beyond the debate side of things. I think there's being informed and, and staying alert and staying aware. But I think we're sort of beyond the let's have a reasonable conversation. I mean, there was just a big uh, new round of purges on Twitter and on um, a Patreon and other places. Um, uh, Charlie Kirk is gone. Uh, was it Sydney Watson from Instagram, if I remember? Oh, sorry, from uh, Patreon and so on. So, yeah, I mean, silencing the voices means that there isn't going to be a debate. But decisions still need to get made. So what happens? Well, I've talked about that for years. I don't need to repeat it here. So, uh, Let's see here. Yeah, Walter Durante of the New York Times was put up in a nice hotel by Stalin and supplied with whores. <laughs> was he supplied with whores? And yeah, uh, they used to call it a Potemkin village. Uh, Potemkin was uh, one of the Soviet propaganda films, if I remember rightly. So they would take men out of the gulag, they would feed them and fatten them up, and then they would have the foreign journalists come over. And uh, I wrote a poem about this when I was like 18 or something like this. And um, they would have the Western journalists come over and say, oh my gosh, it's so wonderful here. The, the, the peasants are so well-fed and happy and all that kind of stuff. So, Excuse me. <laughs> uh, the USSR also starred, stopped 40% of Kazakhstan's population. Yeah, it was all over the place in, in Eastern Europe, for sure. For sure. Yeah, and I don't think Walter Durante ever lost his Pulitzer for that as well. So, Thoughts on Penn swimmer Leah Thomas becomes first trans athlete to win the Division I title. Well, I mean, I understand why people are uh, upset about that, for sure. Um, but I, I view things from an increasingly Christian lens these days. Um, it's empirically inescapable, and I won't make a huge case for it, because I know we have a lot of atheists on the call, and of course I'm not technically a Christian as yet, but it's, it's hard for me to miss this, you know, what are the wages of sin, right? The wages of sin are punishment or death or whatever. So if I look at the, the gender stuff, so for the last 60 years, women have been, you know, in general, more than happy to use the power of the state to increase their income and gain resources that they didn't earn in the free market, right? I mean, this um, affirmative action hiring for women and equal pay for work of equal value and maternity leaves and, you know, they've, they've just been using the government to get free stuff for themselves and free stuff for their kids and free stuff for their, for their daughters and so on. And the traditional religious, or in this case Christian, understanding of the devil is, is what? Well, the devil gives you a whole bunch of stuff. And it seems free, right? It seems free. And then what happens is uh, he takes everything away and more. That's the tide. Tide comes in, tide goes out, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. So women as a whole have been relatively happy to take all of this free stuff from the state. And now the state is starting to take stuff back. And uh, I think it's very tough on the women who have uh, the girls, you know, to, to get to a very high level of competition, which I never did. I, I did a lot of swimming uh, when I was in uh, junior high and high school. I was seventh in Ontario, which 
was not a huge deal or anything like that, but I thought it was kind of cool. And so, and, and I would have to get up at, 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 at six in the morning and go and swim hard for like an hour to hour and a half. And then sometimes I would do it in the afternoon as well. And I did water polo and, and uh, cross country. And, and I was really quite the uh, mover and shaker as, as a teenager. That's a lot of work. I remember uh, I could never afford to get a proper haircut. So I'd go to a haircutting school where they would cut my hair. And I remember um, sitting in the chair and the woman who was cutting my hair said, oh, you're a swimmer. And I said, thinking how oh, am I bulked up and she said no your hair it's got that kind of chlorine feel to it and it's also slightly green <laughs> see I went from I was I was green hair before it was progressive I went from green to bald so um <clears throat> it's a lot of work and I, I remember uh, the the uh, the woman next to her these are just tiny little snippets of my life which I'm resurrecting and spraying out to the universe for all time but I remember sitting and she said oh you're a um you're a swimmer, your hair is green and a little brittle and so on, right? And and then the woman next to her said, yeah, yeah, uh, Come next time come back and she'll tell you all your future. And I just remember thinking, yeah, pretty funny. So, so yeah, it's a huge amount of work. And, you know, one of the things, of course, that is happening is there is this general, move, move, general movement to make women less attractive as a whole. You know, fat positivity and, and blue hair and no makeup and weird piercings and so on. There's this general movement to make women less attractive. And of course, if you take away incentives for women's sports, women will be less active, they'll be less engaged in sports, and they'll end up less attractive. And um, it's a real shame, because, you know, we men live to worship the beauty of women, right? And and so when women become less attractive, um, seventh in Ontario would be world record setting in the girls division. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, how difficult would you say it is to raise a family on one income? Father works and mother raises the kids at home. So that is very interesting. So the one income thing. So this is it's called a false dichotomy, right? So if you say, well, the husband earns $50,000, and if the wife works, then she earns $100,000, and that's twice the income, so it should be easier to raise kids. Uh, but that's not the way it works in reality and in uh, economics and statistically and so on. If the man makes $50,000 and the wife stays home to raise the children, the man ends up making $150,000 or at least $100,000 because he can really concentrate on his work. He doesn't always have to leave work at five o'clock to pick the kids up from daycare. And they have a lot of extra money because you're not paying for all of the um, uh, childcare expenses and so on. If you homeschool and grow some of your own food, and, and there's lots of ways that you can save money. I mean, I spent most of my life, you know, broke to the bone and, and saving money. I remember renting a room. When I was doing my master's, I rented a room in a house with five other people, and I paid $270, no, $275 a month for uh, everything, you know, heat and internet and, and uh, all of that. And, uh, yeah, lived, lived pretty lean to the bone, man. Cooked up a lot of... Uh, a lot of pasta. So uh, you can uh, you can save a lot of money. Um, you can, uh, um, and because the man can concentrate on his career, he has a massive advantage relative to all the other men whose wives work. And this is one of the reasons why women who remain single are very keen on telling other women to go and work. Because if the women who stay single and are in the workforce are competing with the men, and if the men have a wife at home who's taken care of, the kids, the household, the chores, the bill paying, the taxes, then he can really focus on his career and you just end up making a lot more money. So it's a false dichotomy to say, well, you know, if only one person works, we have half the income. It's not how it works uh, in, in reality. You end up with more income as a whole. I guess not a guarantee, but 
that's generally the trend. So, uh, your thoughts on the black woman up for Supreme Court judge? Well, it's interesting because Biden specifically said he was looking for a black woman. Uh, and it turns out that the black woman can't define what a woman is because she's not a biologist, which seems to indicate that it's biological in some measure. But um, if we deny the definition of femininity, then all affirmative action laws for women should be struck in Title IX. Anyway, so we get all of that, right? So Let's see here. Have to go be a grandma. Delighted you're back. Thanks all. Well, very nice. Um, I don't have anything about uh, any thoughts about a Tekken player. I'm not even sure what Tekken is. Um, the Scotus pick is also soft on uh, child uh, people who sexually offend against children. Well, there certainly does seem to be the case, and and you will have noticed, of course. And this is you should, if you want to go and watch my old videos, are all still cooking around the internet. You can go to freedomain.com forward slash videos to have a look at them. You can do a search on fdrpodcast.com. Uh, so you can just do for Gene Wars. Do a search on fdrpodcast.com, Gene Wars, and then the video links are below. It's all very nice and tidy. And thanks again, James, and the other coders who made all that work. But the earlier that children are introduced to sexual matters, the more R-selected they tend to become. And so the left is generally an R-selected uh, preference mechanism. And so for the left to... Um, promote the R-selected lifestyles and therefore genetics in the long run, uh, they have, uh, I think, an instinctive desire to show uh, and, and involve children in uh, sexual material as, as young as possible because it does provoke uh, R-selected uh, behavior. See, here's the thing, right? So in a K-selected society, adult sexual matters have, have privacy, right? Because you, you keep sexual matters away from the children. So in a, in a sort of highly evolved and... and uh, more case-selected society, children are shielded from sexual matters. Uh, <clears throat> and if you sort of think of sort of more primitive societies, like you can think of the pygmies, like they basically just have sex in front of the kids and the kids are exposed to all these sexual matters very early on. And the privacy and dignity and maturity of adult sexual relations is uh, not maintained. And uh, this is one of the reasons why uh, for the society to evolve to a more complex state tends to be somewhat uh, problematic. Have I ever been to Uruguay? Some libertarians are heading there. I have not been to Uruguay. Tekken is an arcade fighter game like Street Fighter. What was it? I have no idea. What's kind of an odd coincidence because this popped into my head the other day. That I, I used to play a karate game on my Atari 800 in my early teens called Karateka. Karateka. You know, it's funny. Every couple of years, I will try and get an Atari 800 operating system working on Windows. I've had some luck with it but and it's funny you know because it you know when when i boot up that blue screen and it just says ready with a still cursor the cursor didn't even blink because i think it took up too many uh, cpu cycles and i just get this like wild rush of nostalgia for all of the coding and game playing and and all of that that i did uh, back in the day with all of that so uh, if you were to make one suggestion to stop government intervention in people's lives what would it be well when the government gains control of the education system right it's just a matter of time. Once, once the government gains control of the education system, and of course, for those of you who don't know, I'm sure you do, but the government control of the educational system in America was primarily driven by a fear of social disunity, right? Because lots of Catholics came pouring in and it was a pretty Protestant society, a very Protestant society. 
And what are there, no Protestants on the Supreme Court anymore? It's all gone. But they said, well, you know, we can't have all these Catholics coming into the country. The government's going to have to take over education to promote social unity. And now, of course, government education is being used to sow division. And again, that's the, you know, oh, we'll deal with this problem with, with getting the government to take over education. And then you do get a certain amount of social unity for a while. <coughs> but then in the long run, and when a society becomes wealthy, the bill can be intergenerational. When the society is poor, the same people who make the bad decisions pay the price. But when society is wealthy, the people who make the bad decisions live and die, and then it's their kids or their grandkids who pay the price. And that's, that's pretty rough. That's pretty rough. So uh, privatization of education would be the way to go, I think. But of course, in most places, you can do that, right? Should I vote for Trump if he runs again? I'm... Don't, don't go to anyone else to ask those kinds of questions. This is a matter between you and your conscience, right? Libertarians should stop running away. Well, I'm not sure what that means. I mean, everyone gets mad at the, um, the Republicans. And look, <clears throat> the pro-war side of the Republicans is pretty, pretty vile. You know, I will occasionally dip in to see what some of the prominent Republicans are doing and, and saying. And... You know, this bipolar, Jack the Ripper, bloodthirsty warlust, you know, clenched fists of, of veins uh, is going on pretty, pretty hard, right? I mean, the, the love affair that some people on the right have with, with war and the army is, is pretty, pretty wild. But the Republicans, of course, are facing a massive uphill battle because so many people are kind of glued to the mainstream media and the mainstream media can just reach in and rearrange their brains for whatever they want. And that's not really the equivalent on the conservative side. I mean, there was Fox News, I suppose. But what, didn't it recently come out that Fox News had its nose in the trough of the billion dollars that the Biden administration was handing out to media companies to promote the vaccine? Uh, that's pretty vile. I mean, straight up, pretty vile. You know, I mean, if, if I was taking a whole bunch of money to promote something and didn't tell anyone, I mean, that would be a pretty significant lapse in ethics, wouldn't it? And so when Fox News is taking a bunch of money from the government to promote the vaccines, but not telling their listeners or watchers that that's what they're doing, well, it's kind of vile. It's kind of vile. So, all right, let's see here. Planning on buying a house with my wife. That sounds actually kind of funny. <laughs> like you're going to use your wife to buy a house. Planning on buying a house with my wife and having to stay at home and raise the kids. Yeah, that's the way to go. That's the way to go. Uh, let's see here. Thoughts on Montessori method of education? Well, I think... I mean, I've known some people who've gone through some Montessori stuff. It's fine, uh, but I'm, I'm, so, I'm really kind of old-fashioned these days. And, and sort of my first question about these kinds of things is say, okay, well, how did we evolve? How did we evolve? Well, how we evolved was kids hanging out with their parents and learning what they did. That's, that's, and that's, you know, you think of sort of your, your, your son would come with you hunting and for the daughters, they would learn how to pick berries and, and roots and, and cook and prepare and take care of them. So you would just hang out with your parents and do what your parents did. And that's how you would learn things. That's the most natural way that we evolved to learn, which is why children tend to imitate their parents so much. So as, as a whole, again, I know like if you work on an oil rig, it's not like you can bring your toddler along or anything like that. But as a whole, I'm sort of moving towards shed all the, tra <laughs> shed, shed all the trappings of civilization, I say with a new camera. But, you know, shed the trappings of civilization and um, 
return to how we evolved in terms of diet, in terms of movement, in terms of education. It's just kind of easier, I think, and, and just feels a whole lot more natural. So, Could you make a public Xbox account so we can play video games with you? That's interesting. I don't have an Xbox, but I can certainly look into it. Um, I've been doing a little bit of VR, which is kind of kind of neat. It really is kind of neat. All right. <coughs> I probably won't do a super long live stream tonight because of um, the voice is a little uh, sultry, a little bit in the raspy depths of virus infected, blah, blah. Libertarianism is cringe. Traditional conservatism is based. Well, cringe versus base. Um, you, you're kind of in the low, low-lying areas of thought there, my friend. VR Skyrim, I tried it. I tried it. It's just a funny thing, right? So Skyrim, to me, is one of the greatest games ever made. Um, and, you know, now, tragically, you have uh, on Steam, or maybe other places, you have a record of how long you've played. And over the years, I put like 100 hours over, I don't know, 10 years or whatever, I put 100 hours into Skyrim. And, um, you know, often while I was chatting with other people and all that kind of stuff, so a little, little sort of social and so on, but it's a great game. It's a great game. And before that, I played some Morrowind. And I always said, I said to my wife and my daughter, I said, look, I mean, I know that there's VR Skyrim. I see it on, on Steam, but I don't think it's a good idea for me to get it because, man... It's pretty, I mean, being in the world and looking around is, is pretty wild. And anyway, so we were, uh, my, my family, we were visiting some friends and they have, they have two, two lovely daughters. And the friends said, uh, oh, you, you should try Beat Saber. And I'm like, is, is that sushi? Like, <laughs> is that a kind of Japanese dish? What is that? I don't know if you've ever played Hit Me Why the Why, if you've played uh, Beat Saber. Um, but... Uh, it is, um, you, you've got these blocks flying at you, these, these cylinder, these like, they're like big glowing dice, right? And they have an arrow on one of the four sides. And that, the arrow is how you have to swipe these lightsabers that you have in your hands. And you've got to follow the music and it gets pretty, pretty wild and pretty fast. Yeah, you, some of you have played it, so you know, you can just look up Beat Saber. And I, I, I put the, the helmet on and, and played some Beat Saber and it was like, oh dear, daddy likes that is very nice. And so I played some Beat Saber and I was like, yeah, we should, we should get this, right? It's like, I don't know, 200, 299 bucks or something like that. And so I, um, I got the, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the headset and uh, after about 16 to 18 seconds, my daughter was basically fruit ninjing all the blocks known to man at a speed that I could barely process while I was like, left, right up, down. I'm not too bad at it, but my daughter could just blur. Like, it's just wild. I have a video of her somewhere, of her doing this Beat Saber thing, and it's like, her arms are basically moving like a hummingbird. It's like, I need to get a camera that does 240 frames a second, just to, I can't see it whatsoever. So, it's kind of, and I, 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 my brain, I don't know if it doesn't work that way, or, you know, your, your peak processing is in your late 20s or whatever, right? But <clears throat> it's wild. Um... It's, it's pretty wild to see. And there's a bow game called Death Unchained that I quite like. Um, and so, yeah, I've been doing a little bit of VR. Uh, I did dip into um, Skyrim, but it's a little daunting to start again. And um, I, I, I'm a little concerned about one's sense of reality if you get too much into that kind of stuff. So, yeah, maybe Izzy <laughs> should, be a, should be a drummer. Yeah, that's right. 
That's right. You played 450 hours of Fallout 4. I never played Fallout 4. VR chat is very fun. Hmm. Yeah, maybe I'll do a VR speech. Uh, you've seen Twitch eThoughts play that beat game? Well, you know why they're doing it, right? They're doing it so that they jiggle when they swing, right? Steph lost to the metaverse. <laughs> well, see, here's the thing. Like, I, I can't see giving up reality for this kind of stuff. But, you know, that just could be an over 50 kind of guy, right? So, Why is the book 1984 required reading in some high schools? Isn't it ironic? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... George Orwell is really frustrating because, you know, he remained a socialist while being incredibly powerful on socialism. So I racked up 1,250 hours on space engineers. Oh, isn't that funny? Wow. The Long Dark is good. It's a Canadian survival game on Steam. Is it VR or no? You know what I've actually uh, gotten into? My wife bought it. I don't know. Sorry, we just go completely non-philosophical, but I'm kind of curious what you guys have done this, right? Um... Have you ever played, I'm sure you have, it's fairly common, uh, a game called um, Settlers of Catan? I thought it was Catan with a whole bunch of A's, but it's just Settlers of Catan. That's a really good game. That's a lot of fun. And um, Skyrim has the, well, see, Skyrim has the best atmosphere because I was a D&D guy in my early teens. So for me, the Dungeons and Dragons universe is, is pretty good. So yeah, you've played, uh, you've played it? Yes. Uh, it is It is a good game. It's, it's, it was the kind of game that I've seen around for a while, and it's kind of like, ah, maybe I should play it. But I hate to say it. It's sort of like Fallout. Uh, not Fallout. Um, what was it? Sky Star. Oh, gosh. What was it called? Starcraft. Uh, Starcraft. The last one I played was like Starcraft. Is it two or whatever it was? Because it's like, oh, this is really complicated. And I don't have the time to invest in it. I haven't really played many video games other than some with my daughter since I became a dad. But... <clears throat> um, the, uh, uh, did I listen? oh yes. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of used to, I, I prefer the, um, the Dungeons and Dragons style of games because it just kind of brings me back to my time reading, um, Dungeons fantasy novels and, and playing Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons and all that kind of stuff. So yes, very good. Uh, I'm kind of glad that I don't have the numbers on my games when I was younger, but I spent more, I, I mean, I started off on video games, but then I spent a lot more time learning how to program than that. So. Catan is fun, right? Jared cheats in Catan. I will say, I will believe nothing. Winston being an incel was the root of all of his problems. But Winston wasn't an incel. He was married when he was younger. So, Absolutely about libertarians. They have crazy ideas like no stop signs, no police, no stoplights. Impractical. You know, I'm just going to be an annoying guy. Tell you to raise your game. Just... There's no, there's no magic word called impractical that just dismisses everybody's arguments, you know. Uh, well, the world can't be a sphere. That's impractical. Oh, right? I mean, just saying the word impractical is not an argument. So I'm sorry about that. So, um, What do you think of giving toddlers very colorful and noisy toys? Is it bad? What about mothers who buy way too many toys? Well, oh, Baldur's Gate. Yeah, I played some of that. What was it? Boo? One of, the, one of the characters had a hamster named Boo. Do I remember that right? And why do I remember that? When every time I get a new phone number, I can't remember it for six months. Anyway, um, I think colorful and noisy toys are great for toddlers because it gives them a sense of control and feedback in their environment. So, uh, so yeah, I think uh, Minsk. Minsk was his name, right? 
That's right. And my, my wife and I played, oh gosh, Neverwinter Nights. Done and done. Yeah, that was fun too. Go for the eyes, boo. Go for the eyes. Oh my God. I can't believe that everyone remembers that. That is so funny. Isn't that funny? Uh, didn't Winston have a lack of romance in his first relationship? Uh, yeah. So his wife was not romantic and was just wanted to have kids for the sake of the, the, uh, the party or whatever it was. So yeah, no, I get that for sure. Do you think sports are bread and circuses? No, no, sports are wonderful. As long as the government's not involved, right? Sports are great. Sports are absolutely essential. There, there's two people I don't trust. Um, people who've never worked with their hands and people who've never played competitive sports. So the people who've never worked with their hands, um, <laughs> it's funny, I was, I was uh, telling someone this story the other day uh, who was over for dinner. And um, we used to do... I mean, looking back on it, it gives, literally still gives me like goosebumps, like thinking back on when I worked up north after high school as a gold panner and prospector, you know, humping around these these 100 pound Pionjar drills and drilling down through the permafrost. I had a flamethrower out in the middle of nowhere because sometimes you, you have to soften up the, the ice to, to get your shovel in. And it's firing up a flamethrower like and you were two days from any kind of hospital. Right. So we did the most astoundingly dangerous stuff, not to mention, you know, you could easily get lost. One blizzard shows up and, and you're really in trouble because uh, this was not any kind of, there was no geo stuff back then. We did all this kinds of, all this kinds of crazy stuff out there. It was just enormously dangerous, but you learn to gain a real respect for reality. Like you can't manipulate your way out of things. You know, if, if you get in trouble with a, a teacher or, or a parent or a boyfriend or girlfriend, a lot of times you can kind of try and talk your way out of it or at least minimize or mitigate the damage or whatever it is, right? Or the, the, the blowback or the problem. You can't negotiate with blind, bald, bare physics. You just can't. You just can't. You either get it right or you get it wrong. And uh, so it's just kind of wild that um, it's funny. I, I spent the whole time up there, never got injured once. And then like my injuries all happened when I got back to the city and let my guard down. <laughs> kind of funny, right? So people who've never actually worked with their hands are just so used to talking their way in and out of trouble that their epistemology is language-based. It's not reality. It's not physics-based. It's not objective-based, right? And so when you're used to your words having these strange powers, like you can talk your way out of a ticket, you can talk your way out of a detention, you can talk your way into getting to retake a test and so on, you know, if, if you drill through your hand, you can't talk your way out of it, right? I mean, you, you, you know, you, you, you can't. If you get lost uh, in minus 30 weather, uh, you can't just talk your way back to camp, right? It's the people who've never really worked significantly with their hands, and I don't mean even being a waiter, you're kind of talking your way into getting tips by being charming as hell, right? So the people who've never worked with their hands, I just don't really care what they have to say about the world because it's way too subjective uh, a lifestyle. People who've never left the cities, people who've never worked on a farm. I mean, <clears throat> I remember... You know, when, when you're poor, you want to get out of the city, but you don't have any money to get out of the city and you don't have any property to go to. So what would happen is a friend of mine or friends of mine would invite me out to their cottage and I love it. I loved the woods, loved the cottage life. And so when you're poor, you, you have to provide services in order to be invited back, right? So uh, I remember going to a friend of mine's cottage when I was about 14 or 15. And, and we had to dig up and move, well, uproot and move an entire outhouse, which, you know, was about an ugliest job as you can imagine, you know, in the heat with the mosquitoes and the black flies. And 
Yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty ugly job, you know, stenchy and, and all of that. So we had to, you know, put lime and cover it up and move it and dig a new, new hole for the new outhouse and stuff like that. I mean, that was ugly work. I remember another mine, another friend of mine, uh, his um, uncle invited me up to, to the cottage and uh, he's like, oh man, I need to dig a well. And I'm like, hey, I'll dig that well for you. My friend and I will dig that well for you. I, and I sort of, he was kind of mad at me because I, but I was like, you know, if we come up and dig a well, he's going to be more friendly to have us come back up. So you used, you get used to providing real value in these kinds of uh, relationships. So I dug, I dug that well. And my God, again, that was just an unbelievably hot and unpleasant and buggy. The more you sweat, the more bugs come. You get clouds of these meat eaters circling around you like you're King Kong on the top of the Empire State with biplanes buzzing your brain. And another friend uh, would invite me up to his cottage. And I remember helping them install a dock. I also remember like, you know, my arms aching because I would spend, you know, like three hours chopping wood, which I loved chopping wood. I, I, you know, if I could, you know, if one guy wants to be a catcher in the rye, Holton Caulfield wants to be a catcher in the rye, I want to be wood chopping guy. I just love to be wood chopping guy. It's so satisfying. It's a, it's a good thing to do. So, so I'm used to just providing value. Now, the kids who grew up wealthy, they were the ones inviting the kids over to the pool. They were the ones inviting the kids over to up to their cottages and so on. They didn't have to provide value because their parents provided value. So I'm really used to this kind of reciprocity, um, which is why I'm asking you guys what you want to talk about. Have you done this? Is this interesting to you? Because I'm just, I grew up because I was poor having, and if you grew up poor, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have to find some way to provide value. You'll do the dishes. You'll, you'll help uh, uh, skim the pool. You'll, you know, you'll, you'll wash the car. Like you'll just, you just try and provide value so that you get to be around these people who've got stuff that you want to, want to play with. So, all right. I know you've talked about and regarded Christianity well in your recent years. Still, I'd like, I'd like you what you have to say now. Oh, you'd like to hear what I have to say now? You'd be a snow shoveling guy? Yeah, snow shoveling. Snow shoveling is good. But the uh, the challenge is when you get over 50, um, your body will let you do stuff and then bitch about it later. Like, that's the problem, right? Like, oh, I got to shovel and shovel. And then the next day you're like, oh, twinge. And it's like, why didn't you tell me at the time? No, no. The pain, the damage that you're doing by shoveling over 50, that's our little secret. And you'll only hear about that tomorrow. Tomorrow I will blow a trumpet in your ear like that meme of the woman with the tuber in her face. Tomorrow, I will tell you all about the damage you've done to your tendons. But right now, it's totally fine. We're just going to pretend everything's fine. That way, says the devil of tendonitis, you can do even more damage to yourself. Because, you know, if I told you that you were damaging yourself, you'd cut back. You'd go easy. But no, I'm not going to do any of that. So. <coughs> um, <clears throat> do you think many of the problems we have today is due to affluence? So many children I know think everything is owed to them. Well, I don't think that comes from affluence. Um, I think that comes a lot from the everyone gets a trophy stuff. Um, you had, when I was a kid, you had to work really hard to get a trophy. And now um, you get trophies even like a friend of mine's daughter was at a, a race at her school and her best friend was sick that day but still got a ribbon. Like didn't even show up at the race. So, uh, Would you ever write an autobiography? Um, I actually started an autobiography and I have a, a couple of chapters done, I think, but um, I didn't continue because that would be dragging other people who didn't choose to be well-known or notorious. And so maybe when I get old. Um, so the problems, so the problems today, right? The supply and demand mechanism, I think, is a very helpful way to look at the world. And what I mean by that is 
people get mad at the media, but the media is only supplying a need or a preference that people have, right? There's a fork in the road, right? Do you want people to tell you the truth or do you want people to lie to you? What is, is the demand, right? And the media as a whole, you can say, oh, well, it lies to people and so on. It's like, yeah, but they got to want those lies, right? They have, to, they have to want those lies. They have to be, there has to be a demand for those lies because if there wasn't a demand for those lies, then the media would have to change or go out of business, right? So the demand for lies is generating the supply of lies and the demand for lies creates a hatred of the truth because the people don't sit there and say, we demand lies. They say, well, what we're told is the truth. You know, there, there are people, if, I was talking to a friend of mine from California the other day, and he was saying that in his neighborhood, uh, the people on the left, the Democrats as a whole, they got wrong the danger of coronavirus by 500 times. Like they overestimated your danger of going to hospital with COVID, I think it was 500 times. Okay, well, if you think that a disease is 500 times more dangerous than it actually is, that's pretty bad, right? The CDC just removed 24% of the childhood fatalities because of a coding error. Yeah. Coding error, it only ever goes one way, right? So I would say that... Um, the people want to believe that what they're being told is the truth and anything which punctures that delusion is viewed as an existential threat to their entire being. Because people end up embedded in social networks. They end up with their friends, their family, their job, their entire social circle is based upon mutually agreed upon falsehoods. And so when you... Ostracism is, in a sense, a fate worse than death for human beings because we can't survive on our own. I mean, in the wild, right? We can't survive on our own. And we certainly can't reproduce on our own, no matter how much uh, Emma Watson may be self-partnering. But, so ostracism is really bad. So if people, if people's social circle are based and founded and bounded by, founded on and bounded by, mutually agreed on falsehoods, then anyone who brings the truth into those relationships is threatening the entire social structure and is, is triggering the potential for ostracism, because if you tell someone the truth and everyone around them is, is punishing truth tellers and, and addicted to lies, then you are threatening them with ostracism, with driving them out of the tribe, driving them out of their society, driving them out of the only social contacts and professional relationships that they know. Uh, a friend of mine who uh, is in the business world uh, decided not to get vaccinated and he said, you know, his, his business uh, has been enormously, it hasn't collapsed, it's enormously harmed by it. Because people are like, oh, I don't want to deal with you if you're unvaccinated, right? I don't want to do business with you and so on, right? And it's like an existential thing. Even if you're not in the same room, they don't want it, right? So once you get enough people who, who are thirsty enough for lies, and, and one of the reasons that people are so thirsty for lies is you've got half the population in many countries entirely reliant upon the government for their income and their health care and their retirement packages and so on, right? And their um, disability insurance and so on. And so when you're dependent upon the power of the state, you have to think the state is a virtuous organ and you have to think that taxes are the price we pay in a civilized society. Like you have to start, like once you're dependent upon power, you then become dependent upon falsehoods and uh, dehumanizing of the other, right? So 
when you come along and start telling the truth, you're threatening people's entire tribe. Uh, and there was a, a wild, um, <clears throat> I, I don't like SNL as a whole. I, I think it's really, really toxic. But uh, somebody did send me one um, skit, which was uh, four people sitting around a table, gingerly talking about how maybe we shouldn't be so scared of COVID. And literally they were so, they, this was kind of the comedy, right? They were so panicked that one of them just started making a reing sound. One of them put, a, the woman put a bag over her head and and uh, one guy um, pulled out a tooth rather than keep the conversation going, right? And, you know, in, in comedy, there is truth, right? If you start to bring any kind of facts to bear on people, they feel that they're going to be ostracized. They can't talk about it. They really, they have an existential panic because we can't, we're social animals. We can't survive without the support of the tribe. It's why lies tend to last so long. So yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. I mean, I guess I've been fortunate and worked hard, I think as well, to just make sure that I don't have people in my life that I have to lie to. <laughs> I mean, because I, that to me would be hell. That to me would be, would be hell. Have you written Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill? I have not. <coughs> Excuse me, let me just make a, um, a note of that. Got it, thank you. Well, it's, uh, you know, how much people trust the government. It's not that they trust the government, if you don't mind me saying so. I don't mean to just completely dismiss your perspective. It's not that they trust the government, it's that they need the government to in order to survive, right? If you're... If, if you're expecting to inherit a million dollars from your grandmother, you say, well, it's amazing how much people want to spend time with their grandmother. It's like, well, you could look at it that way or <laughs> yeah, about a million dollars, right? Uh, right. What is your view on Christianity in the modern age? Well, Christianity is the closest thing to universally preferable behavior that exists. And, and of course, dwarfs it vastly in terms of influence. So universally preferable behavior says that all ethics must be universal. The basis of Christianity is the universalization of ethics. So uh, it is very, very close. Thoughts on FBI not reporting crime statistics? Well, sure. <laughs> of course. What was it? Was it somewhere in L.A. or somewhere that they're now no longer doing mugshots because it's giving people the erroneous impression that uh, certain ethnicities are more likely to uh, commit crimes. So just stop publishing it. Sure. Sure. Let's see here. Okay. Could it be that the majority feel queer, fear about questioning the status quo because they believe the majority is more likely to be right? No. No, because that, that's saying that people go through an analytical process when it comes to either adopting or rejecting the views of the majority. Um... No, there's this fear, right? Just fear. Once a lie becomes widespread enough, then questioning it will produce ostracism. And people, they don't want to wander out into the desert in hopes of finding an oasis. Uh, do you think it is the right thing to do to ask your father's, your fiance's father's permission to marry? Um, I don't know that I would do that. <clears throat> um, I don't know that I would do that. Um, <laughs> if, if you want your woman to look up to you then bow to no man i'm mean, like that's just sexual politics 101 right you you, you can't bow to to any man right <laughs> somebody was saying to me not too long ago um well why don't you just soften on this or why don't you just talk about that or why don't you just back off from this position and it's like no i will not retract anything that is true 
if I am cast into the wilderness, if I am deplat, I will not retract things that are true. That's just not, that's not a thing for philosophers with any self-respect or pride. And, and of course, you know, we have the modern world because people did not retract things that were true. You know, that the sun is the center of the solar system, that uh, we evolved from single-celled organisms, right? You know, the age of miracles is over because we got physics and biology. So I'm just like, I will not retract things that are true. And, but a lot of people don't, don't feel that way because they don't have a sort of philosophical commitment to the truth and so on, right? Why would you back down from telling the truth? Well, um, uh, ask me how I know you've ever been threatened for telling the truth. <laughs> so, uh, let's see here. Has the world ever been so overwhelmed with lies? Oh, absolutely. Oh, no, we, we're still a... Um, uh, we are still a very reality-based civilization compared to most in history. You know, when, when people believed that the world was a giant egg that rested on the back of a turtle and ghosts and spirits flew through the air, and like when, when all of that was like, that was a truly psychotic worldview. And we've, you know. All right. Um, oh, yes. So with regards to the stepfather, oh, sorry, to, to the father of your fiance. I think, I think that you would want to make your case about how, you know, because, I mean, someday some guy is going to make the case to me about how he's going to make my daughter happy and, and she should marry him and so on. And, you know, I love my daughter enormously and, and I want her to have a great and happy married life. I was actually just talking to her today and said, um, I said, uh, you know, would you, would you be happy if you ended up with a marriage as happy as your mom and I's? And she said, no, I don't want marriage like you and mom. So I'm like, oh, why not? It's like, because it involves kissing. Anyway, but I said, um, and, and she said, no, I mean, outside of the kissing, uh, she would uh, very much like to have a marriage as happy as my, my wife and I, which is a wonderful marriage. And so you want to go and make the case to the dad bring and to the mom to bring them on your side about how you're going to make the daughter happy and so on. But you don't want to ask permission because that is to say that I'm going to defer to the father of my bride, which means that, or my wife-to-be, my fiance, I'm going to defer to the father, which means she's going to have a tougher time taking her loyalties across to you. And that's not a very good thing, I think. Thank you for the diamond. All right, uh, let's see here. People only like the lies because they're used to them. If everyone told the truth, there would be no need to lie. I mean, if you can analyze something epistemologically complex as people's addictions to lies with a sort of simple shrug, mostly monosyllabic two-sentence answer, you're completely and totally wrong. Completely and totally wrong. So try not to type obvious things in uh, that, that seem obvious to you but contain no actual thought. People only like lies because they're used to them. That doesn't make any sense at all. There's no cause and effect in that, right? So, so uh, yeah. I mean, this is this is this is high top tier stuff in terms of philosophy. You're going to have to um, have me on your show to talk to you in person. Then, see, uh, Mark, if you don't mind me saying so, I'm sort of pointing out that you just have this shrug. Well, it's just people like lies because they're used to them. If everyone told the truth, there would be no need to lie. 
Okay, but lying is enormously profitable, right? There's a reason why people lie. Lying is enormously uh, profitable, right? So um, people have an incentive to lie, and that incentive is, I and mean, nature is full of falsehood. Like nature is, all nature does is lie, right? I mean, and lie and cheat, so to speak, right? I mean, the, the snake sneaks up, the tiger blends with the grass, you know, the cuckoo lays its egg in another bird's nest, right? I mean, there's lots of deception and falsehood in, uh, you know, where cats uh, hiss and raise their back and flare out their, their fur to look bigger if they're being threatened, right? I mean, it's all, uh, all happening. Mosquitoes, uh, you can't feel the proboscis go in because they deaden you with that saliva that, that makes you itch afterwards, right? So they don't, they, they cheat on getting the blood from you, right? So falsehood and deception is, is the basis of, of biology for the most part, right? And so, um, you know, b birds uh, hide their nests in trees, so the eggs don't get eaten. That's cheating, right? Cause, uh, so the idea that, well, you know, everyone told the truth, there'd be no need to lie, it, it doesn't really add anything because there's no, there's no depth, there's no thought in it. So I've sort of pointed that out. I think you're a smart person because you're listening to the show, and I'm just saying, look, you know, dig a little deeper and, and all of that because um, you're actually lying about the complexity of lying, right? So, and I'm not saying you're lying consciously, but so I'm saying, you know, up your game and get a little deeper and a little more complex. And I know it's, you can only type one paragraph and all, all that's a chat. So I'm just, you know, inviting you to, and, and then, so you haven't actually acknowledged that, you know, that was perhaps a bit of a simplistic analysis or maybe it's deeper than that. You're just saying, oh, well then have me on your show. It's like, no, <laughs> no, why, why would I, why would I do that? You haven't said, you know, that maybe was a bit glib or maybe that was a bit, you know, cause I've just, I've got entire shows where I'm talking about, you know, falsehood and its its positives and its negatives and, and uh, you know, how lying has great advantage. And <coughs> I talked about, you know, the demand for lies and the social cohesion of, of falsehoods. And so, I, you know, I had a lot of complex stuff to say in about it. And you just said basically, oh, no, you're wrong. It's these two sentences, right? And without addressing anything that I'd said. So, no, I, I wouldn't want you on my show particularly because you haven't even acknowledge what I've said, let alone anything like that. So I don't think that would be the way to go. Wow, you just solved the riddle for me. Why do people lie? It's for profit. Well, with the state, right? So with the state allows lies to be extraordinarily profitable, extraordinarily profitable, right? So uh, lies about war, right? So weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, Gulf of Tonkin, Pearl Harbor, you name it, right? So lies that have been told about with Lusitania in the First World War, right? That the, um, oh, it's just a passenger ship. Like, no, there were armaments in the hold, uh, which was sunk by the Germans, uh, as a German submarine. So those lies are extraordinarily profitable, right? Saying, well, you got what, was it 50 senior intelligence analysts in, in America uh, swore up and down that the Hunter Biden laptop story had all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation, and that became the talking point. Did they have any evidence? No. Were they right? No. Have they apologized and retracted? No. And so why would you lie about those things? Well, because it will help you achieve Biden in the White House, which is extraordinarily profitable for a wide variety of people for a wide variety of reasons. So if you lie personally, it generally tends to go badly in your own life. If you lie professionally in a free market situation, you know, if, if you invite people in and say, oh, it's an all-you-can-eat dessert bar, right? And then people sit down and they eat and then they come up for a second dessert and you say, no, I'm just kidding. You have to pay for that, right? Then people will get mad at you and they will leave a bad review. They won't come back and they'll tell the story. So it, generally in a free market situation, lying is bad. Uh, generally in business, in personal relationships, lying generally doesn't work out very well. But with the state, oof, 
once you have the state, you have lying becomes extraordinarily fantastic uh, and, and profitable. And, and asking people to remain moral in the case of such wildly huge benefits to falsehood is, is an impossibility. Like there's no, there's no possibility. People will lie when there's very little chance of anything negative happening to them. And when the upside is so extraordinarily high, you simply cannot expect people to tell the truth. Now, maybe if you threaten them with hell, if they believe, you know, thou shalt not bear false witness and so on, you'll uh, change that to some degree. But if if somebody tells the white lie, gets a million dollars, and has no chance of any negative consequences, they'll tell the white lie 99 times out of 100. And the 100th one is probably just a masochist, which is another thing for uh, that morality masquerades as. So with, with the state, uh, falsehood is just so enormously subsidized. And whatever you subsidize, you get, you get more of, right? Uh, let's see here. Mosquitoes go for sugar and it shows up in sweat and diabetics. Diabetics, is that right? It's interesting. Let's see here. Uh, let's see here. The ghost of Kiev. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. A lot of uh, a lot of falsehoods in, in this. Hey Steph, did you see Daniel Dennett say openly it's okay to lie about race differences and IQ? No, I, I I'm really not uh, tracking the news that much these days. Um, it it would feel kind of masochistic, as a sense, right? Let's see here. What calls a relatively accomplished young woman to live with fifteen cats? I mean, the, the, the first and simple answer is, I have no idea. I have no idea. But if, you know, if cornered and, and having to guess. Um, people who've been enormously harmed by human beings tend to take comfort with animals. The people I know, it's not proof. It's just what I've seen, right? It's not proof. But the people that I know who have been the most harmed by people still have their bonding desires and requirements. And so what they den- tend to do is they tend to gravitate towards animals because animals won't betray them and won't threaten them uh, in the same way that people might betray them or threaten them or turn on them or abandon them or whatever, right? So, you know, ca- cats is, is pretty typical, right? I mean, they'll, you pet them, they'll, they'll come to you for the most part. They, they won't run off for the most part. And uh, they're pretty lo- fairly loyal for the most part. Dogs, more loyal, but less, um, less uh, sedate in a sense. And so a lot of people who have a lot of high anxiety because of abandonment issues or, or betrayal issues or anxiety, these kind of anxiety issues, they'll gravitate toward cats because cat, stroking a cat lowers blood pressure reduces anxiety. But a cat is a safe relationship relative to, like for women in particular, right? Will you still love me tomorrow? Right? The, the big issue with women in particular is a man will lie to her to get sex and then will abandon her, right? And, and that is incredibly humiliating and, and appalling and, and terrible. So a cat won't do that, right? A cat won't lie to you, have sex with you, and then ghost you or anything like that, right? So it's a way for people who've been really traumatized by being preyed upon by some very ugly souled people to gain some sense of comfort and society. Uh, and you'll notice, of course, that a lot of the cat women 
uh, the, the cat people are, are very um, childlike, right? Because they're not mature beyond a certain area. So, you know, I used to have this thing, you know, with a vague temptation. It's like, I don't like statism, but I think you should, should be a law that you can't have a cat until you've had a kid, right? Because having a, a, a cat or a pet, my fur baby or whatever, right, is often a substitute for having children, um, except the cat won't pay any social security when you get old. So all these people who want all this free stuff uh, won't actually have the kids necessary to end up paying for it. Um, so I would assume that that person had been heavily betrayed and exploited uh, as, as a child and therefore is scared of people, but still has the bonding requirement, which we all need to get the dopamine and the endorphins from, from bonding. And so they do it with cats. Uh, and it's a, it's a proxy uh, for, for actual, um, uh, actual commitment to human beings. Did you hear about the fake billionaire that stole thousands from several women? Oh, the Israeli guy? Yeah, I, I watched that documentary. Um, I thought it was pretty wild. I thought it was pretty wild. Uh, so I did a call, uh, I'll, I'll release it at some point, but I did a call with a woman, a uh, very, very pretty woman. Um, and oh, I mean, beautiful in, in, if it's your type, right? And she was complaining that she would just get these really confident guys who turn out to be total jerks. And I was sort of pointing out that a lot of times beautiful women will end up with jerks, right? I think Sandra Bullock with that guy who was on the car show or something, he cheated on her, if I remember rightly, something like that. And the reason that it happens is that for normal, healthy guys with, with empathy, it's very scary to go up to a beautiful woman and ask her out because you're trying to find out where you are in the sexual market value pecking order. And so a man will go up to a beautiful woman and ask her out and he will be very nervous. And so she views that nervousness as weakness, as a lack of status, as a lack of confidence. And so she's reject she turns, but, but a guy who comes up with no fear and just asks her out and is, you know, leaning over her and kind of dominant and so on. She views that as alpha and he's very confident and he's very strong. And it's like, well, no, because it's, it's a healthy thing to feel fear. Fears and the people who don't feel fear tend to be sociopaths if not psychopaths, right? So the, the, the beautiful woman will often end up with the jerk because he comes across all kinds of confident and alpha when he has, in fact, no empathy whatsoever and ends up being abusive, so. Uh, you coming back from your great break for good, Steph? Um, well, I'm certainly not coming back from my break for, my break for evil. Yeah, yeah, I know, I'm back, I'm back for good. And... See, here's the thing too, right? So this, this guy who swindled all these women, um, and these were attractive women and, and pretty women and so on, but he put out all the hallmarks, right? He's a pretty good looking guy, nice head of hair. He had a private jet. He'd fly them all over the place. And he was a diamond guy. And then he'd do this scam where he and his bodyguard would appear to be bloodied and beaten up. And he, she had to send money because they'd taken all his credit cards and he needed to get to a hospital and get, I don't know how. And so they'd send money and then he wouldn't send it back. And, and, and here's the thing, right? So this is one of the reasons why people are having a very tough time letting go of COVID and why people are drawn to Ukraine. Um, hit me with a why if you have people in your life who need drama. They need stimulation. They need some external source of excitement, of meaning, of purpose, of direction, of something to react to. Hit me with a why if you know people who are addicted to drama. <laughs> uh, Umata has six whys. Excellent. Excellent. Um, yes. Yes. 
So how do you how do you get a sense of meaning and purpose in your life? That's a very big question, right? How do you get a sense of meaning and purpose in your life? Well, the best way to get a sense of meaning and purpose in your life is to promote virtue and fight evil, right? Promote virtue and fight evil. That's the best way to get a sense of meaning and purpose in your life. But that's uh, tough and dangerous, right? Because evil people will fight back and, and could harm you and, and could threaten you and, and you could have, you know, a tough, a tough time of it, right? So people want that sense of meaning and purpose, but they don't want the risk involved in actually fighting evil and promoting virtue. So, I mean, it's things of pornography, right? People want a sex life, but I guess it's easier to masturbate than it is to find a partner and go through that whole process and get a pair bond going and start a family and all that kind of stuff, right? So people want the easy stuff rather, I mean, it's natural, it's natural. People want the easy stuff rather than the hard stuff, but the hard stuff is what lasts. So people who end up not having a sense of meaning and purpose in their life are very great prey for sophists who can then come in and say, oh, virtue is doing this. You know, virtue is 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 uh, telling all white people they're racist. That's that's virtue, right? That's virtue. Uh, virtue is uh, equality of outcome. Virtue is having sympathy for people overseas. Like all of these things, never going to get you in much trouble. There's never going to be any particular blowback, and so you get this sense of virtue, <clears throat> and achievement, and self-esteem, but there's no risk involved. And when there's no risk involved, it's not particularly virtuous. Right. I mean, virtue does have to involve some kind of risk, right? I mean, it's not being being against slavery in the 17th century, 18th century. Yeah, that that took a lot of a lot of guts, right? Being against slavery now, you know, who's going to get mad at you? Not, certainly not me, right? Yeah, slavery is evil. So people want this sense of virtue and and achievement and and being good and and fighting the bad guys and so on, but they don't want actual bad guys who can do them harm. So they pick the least dangerous people around and thump their chest and thunder at those people and think that they're being really virtuous. Uh, and um, let's go back to Russia to some degree, right? Whereas the people who are actually dangerous, uh, they don't go near those people with a 10-foot pole, right? So people do get kind of addicted to this uh, virtue. Now, then when you define actual virtue um, and, and you say, look, here are some really bad actress and, and so on. And then people don't want to, they don't want to do that so much, right? They, they'd much rather, um, in a sense, uh, get involved in, in punching matches where nobody can fight back, right? Because then you can feel like a tough guy. They're bullies, basically, right? Pick on the weaker. Now, when something like COVID comes along or the war comes along, then people want that rush of dopamine. They want that rush of dopamine that they're good. Now, their being good means that other people have to be bad. Because if everyone's good, you're not particularly good, which is why there aren't any anti-slavery movements focusing on the West, right? I mean, you could do it in Libya, where the intervention of Obama and Hillary Clinton ended up with open-air slave markets in a destroyed country. But when something comes along that allows people to feel virtuous by creating and demonizing an other, uh, some other human being or group or country, then they, they get that dopamine of, I'm good, I'm doing good, I'm fighting evil, and there's no risk. Now, they don't like to think that there's no risk, but generally, people are drawn to moral battles where the risk is minimal, if any. <coughs> so, when something like COVID comes along and, and people are told, do this, do that, do the other, and you're a good person, and the people who don't do this, that, or the other are really bad, evil, nasty people, 
okay, then conformity with what doing what you're told, which has never been a sign of virtue in, in history as, as a whole, conformity with doing what you're told and attacking the people who are having questions makes you feel like a good, virtuous, nice, wonderful person, and you get that dopamine hit of being good and other people are bad and so on, right? But it wears off because it's not a real battle. It's not a real thing. So then you want to move to Ukraine, and then you say, well, now I'm good because I'm denouncing the Russians, I'm denouncing this, and I've got a Ukrainian flag in my bio and this, that, the other. It could be any number of things, right? I could pronouns, whatever, any number of things. And the way that you also get meaning, of course, is... You know, you get married, you have children, and you you raise them, and and you have. I mean, I I'm I don't get too emotional. I'm just I'm so immensely honored and and privileged to be able to spend time with my daughter. Like it is, my daughter and my wife. It's like the greatest people. It's so much fun, so much wisdom, so much depth. It's just, it's the most great and glorious thing that that exists in this world and that's meaning so i don't need to to do this that or the other with COVID. i don't need to put a flag up i i, I already have all i've done great good in the world i've taken on some bad actors i've landed some punches i've been punched i've been knocked down you know crawling back up and so on so i don't need the external drama but people who don't actually create nurture life who don't actually take on dangerous bad people and promote a scary virtue those people just need this continual drama and they are again as i said intensely susceptible prey to people who can sell them virtue without danger which is usually vice so let's see here I'm here for my Steph fix. Looking forward to a new call-in show. I really learned from those. Yes, I have some for sure. I will uh, send them out. And, you know, we'll, we'll do some, some call-ins uh, here. I'm uh, working on some technology to make that easier. So, Yeah, the basis of the virtue signal. The virtue signal is I'm a good person. Anybody who disagrees with me is evil. And I face absolutely no danger or risk for my position. Or I do face risk but I don't know what it is. I don't understand the risk, right? There will be blowback for what's going on in Russia. You know, I mean, the, the idea that, that these countries, I, I, don't, I don't get it. I mean, I get it from a sort of power analysis standpoint, but I just don't get why. I mean, to, to get involved in this conflict and to ship arms to Ukraine, I mean, you're in the war. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong about this. You know, maybe I've just been out of the loop for a while, but it would seem to me like if you are shipping arms to one side of the war, you're in the war. So you say, oh, it's about the no-fly zone. It's like, well, yeah, that would certainly be an escalation. But if you're shipping arms to one side of the war, you're in the war. And there will be blowback, whether that blowback is harm to the U.S. dollar, whether that blowback is something that happens in the homeland. I mean, we'd, we'd like to avoid all of that stuff if possible. My God. My God. Let's see. Love you too, Owen. Thank you so much for dropping by. Let's see here. 
I know this isn't philosophy, but if you consider doing more crypto podcasts, yes, I would like to get back more into crypto. And that is pretty philosophical. Do you take somebody being vaxxed into account in dating? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I hate to say, but I'm sort of so far past the dating market that uh, I don't really uh, think about that. There is a very significant correlation, though. I'm sure you've seen these charts as well as I have, but there's a very significant correlation between being vaccinated and a whole bunch of other beliefs. And the people who are not vaccinated tend to be skeptical of general narratives like, you know, Putin's stone evil, Zelensky, Arab, paragon of virtue and so on, right? So uh, the people who are vaxxed tend to have a whole lot of other kind of normy NPC beliefs as a whole, um, which I would find a bit troublesome to, to deal with. So let's see here. <clears throat> Would you ever consider doing some video game design streams in the future? I don't know what that means. Video game design streams. I don't know what that means. Sorry. Women are lying that they haven't taken the vax because they know men don't like it. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the long-term effects of the vaccine. I mean, the, 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 the DOD database is pretty, pretty alarming, to put it mildly. Pretty mildly. To put it pretty, pretty mildly, it's pretty alarming. So, Somebody says, wait a sec, I'm a single, unvaxxed woman looking for a man. Well, good luck. Are you still going to make a dating guide? Yes. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Uh, vaxxed women are already married to the state. Yeah. Well, what do you guys think? Do you think that the negative effects of the vax are going to increase? Uh, hit, me, hit me with a Y, if you think. Hit me, oh, sorry, hit me with a 1 to 10. Let's get some scale here. 10 being really bad, 1 being not bad. Minus, you can go to minus if you think it's not going to be. But do you think? You think it's going to get bad for people who are vaccinated? Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, because, I mean, I've known a lot of people who've taken the vaccine who haven't had any particular ill effects at all, so. Fertility. Well, certainly the menstruation issues seem to be fairly considerable, and uh, that doesn't seem particularly, particularly good. Young athletes having heart attacks. So the soccer thing has been going on for a while, pre-vax, so I don't know what that's all about, but uh, I wouldn't put that down straight to the vax. Seven, but it will be difficult to prove. Yeah, I mean, if there are these kinds of negative issues and if they show up in a couple of years and so on, it's going to be pretty tough to uh, to do all of that. And of course, there'll be a huge cover up and all that. So do you think, OK, let me ask you this. And this is a yes, no. Do you think if the vaccines turn out to be more harmful? I mean, what are there, 1200 negative side effects? I didn't even know that there were that many negative side effects in the world as a whole. But if the vaccines uh, are bad, uh, or, or do have significant health issues down the road, do you think it will come out, or do you think people will just skate past it? You think it's children of my times a thousand, yeah. I'm just curious what you guys think. Some yes, it will, some no. You think they're going to skate? Yeah. <clears throat> My sort of reference to this is McCarthy, Joseph McCarthy. Like even people on the, even conservatives, even libertarians are still talking about McCarthyism like it was some irrational witch hunt. And of course, I've done a whole truth about Joseph McCarthy presentation, so. Yeah. 
I, I think, um, I mean, I, I, of course, I'm desperate that these things don't happen and that it's safe and effective and so on, um, or that the negative effects, which certainly are documented, are relatively rare for sure. But if, uh, uh, gosh, I can't even imagine, like, I mean, if, if you've, you've put this in your kids and it turns out to be harmful, I, I just, I don't, I can't imagine. I can't imagine I'd even get out of bed in the morning. Are we going to get more truth about presentations? I do love those. Yes, yes, you are. Truth about the French Revolution. Got some notes. All right, any last questions? I'm afraid I'm running on slight cold energy, which is like not exactly cold fusion of massive energy. Do you like the sound in the video? It's pretty nice, right? Um, is that a little, does it look a little cold to you, a little blue? Let me futz with the coloring while you guys are watching. And um, let me know what you what you think. Truth about Justin Trudeau? I don't find that particularly interesting. Sorry. Um, there's a book relooking at McCarthy, Blacklisted by History. Yes, I think I read that. When is the next live stream? Uh, let's do Friday night. Let's do Friday night, seven time. Very good and crisp. Yeah. Maybe a little cool. All right, hang on. Let me just warm this warm this puppy up a little bit. Tell me what you uh, what you think of that. How pretty am I now? Do you love me now for my beauty? Still a little chill, right? Are you back to normal as per before? Yes. You should do nature walks and live stream. Yes. Keep it blue. Make this a day for night stream. I don't know what that means. Keep it blue like get well soon. I've not been ill. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Have you heard of the video game Haunting Ground? No, I have not. Did you work on some video games in your past? I certainly did. That's how I learned to program. All right. Uh, maybe just a, one more smidge of warming this puppy up a little. I think it's still a little cool. What do you guys think? That's a little too warm, right? Oh, you said I had a cold. Oh, I'm so sorry. You're absolutely right. Sorry. I got, you're, you're totally right. I apologize. I, I completely skated past that one. My, my apologies. I got so many messages from people who like, dude, are you ill? Are you okay? Are you ill? Which I was really touched by and it was very thoughtful and people were really nice about it. So I appreciated that. But no, you're, you're totally right. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely right. Thank you. Yes, you're absolutely right. Thank you. I appreciate that kindness and sorry for <laughs> completely misusing, misusing something afterwards. Uh, have you seen the new kids movie Turning Red? No, I don't really watch uh, that. Are you, is your daughter showing signs of academic excellence? Oh, man, her logic and debating is like, boom. It's really, really instantaneous. It's incredible to watch. It really is. So I think she certainly got some of that, or maybe even more than I did. So, oh, yeah, she's, uh, she's very, very good. A bit cool, too. It's just hit me with a Y if you think this is, if this is better. And this color is better. One of the characters sounds like me. I'm also, was it Right Said Fred? No, not Right Said Fred. Drop Dead Fred uh, is a movie somebody asked me to uh to review which i think i will i've never seen it but it's better right <clears throat> all right well um i think i will um it's better right i think i will cut it down now and um thank you so much for dropping by uh, a great pleasure as always to chat with you wonderful people uh, freedomain.com forward slash donate uh, i would uh, really like uh, if you could help me out and help me get back <laughs> into some kind of fiscal state uh and that's better and um I would, uh, uh, when you meet people in real life, what do you look for to see if they're a good person? So um, the, the first thing that I look for is A, do they listen? And B, do they 
reciprocate, right? So I'll ask them about their lives. Do they ask me about my life? I'll ask them what they do. Do they ask me what I do? I'll ask them, you know, how their day was. Do they ask me how my day was, right? Because a lot of people are just kind of black holes, just take attention and never give anything back. So that's the, uh, that's the first thing to see. I had a boss once who said, yeah, you know, like I'm in my 60s now. So basically, if somebody doesn't ask me a question back within five minutes, I just move on and ignore them completely. So uh, freedomain.locals.com. That's wonderful to help out. I would really, uh, really appreciate that. Freedomain.locals.com. And um, yeah, you, you can talk to Ed Dutton. Sure. I think that would be that would be fine. I, I think I remember him, but uh, I'll have a look at him too. So yeah, thanks everyone. What a wonderful night of chatting. I really, really appreciate it. I'm sorry that I was gone for so long. Uh, if it's any consolation, I did come back as soon as I can, but I had some, some stuff to do uh, and, uh, but got it done. So lots of love, freedomain.com forward slash donate. Have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful evening. Lots of love from up here. And um, I, will, uh, I will find my tab at some point. I will find, oh God. Oh wait, here it is. Yes, okay, take care. Lots of love, everyone. Talk to you soon, bye.